Today is Tuesday, September 6th. We are past Labor Day, which basically means that we are past the summer travel season, if you will. And KHNL's Jonathan Soppy is here uh, with one of our favorite segments that we do a couple times a week, Unraveling Your Traveling. Jonathan, good day to you, sir. How are you? Aloha, guys. I hope you had a good holiday weekend. Got the grill out or got some beach time or some lake time. Hope you got it in there. Well, we, uh, you know, I, I tried to take it easy yesterday um, and just uh, soak in the, the rare day off of work uh, for, a, for a summer holiday. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks were out grilling. We did take a walk at one point and got to smell all of the things. And I was just like, man, who didn't invite me, right? Well, you didn't invite me, so I was here at work, right here in our H&N Digital Center, so thanks. Thanks for that. Well, you didn't miss anything special at my house, trust me. Jonathan, we've got, uh, we, we, we had, for a most part here, a pretty smooth Labor Day travel weekend for most travelers. We haven't heard a lot of the words like smooth being used for summer, summer travel, so this might be a bit of an improvement here uh, from, what, uh, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, especially from what we've been talking about all summer long here on Unraveling Your Traveling, there really wasn't a lot of what you would call those travel nightmares being talked about over this holiday weekend. There were some disruptions, but not as many. So this is often considered the final major holiday weekend of the summer. And I would even say, quote, smoothly, it went pretty well, uh, even with terminals and planes seeing more and more passengers than ever some of the busiest days of the year really the travel website the points guy is reporting the weekend included far fewer disruptions on the five largest u.s airlines than occurred during this summer's earlier holiday weekends around memorial day and fourth of july so just to give you a little statistics there between thursday and sunday afternoon there were get this 76 percent fewer canceled flights on american airlines delta airlines JetBlue, southwest and united airlines compared to the same travel days leading into the fourth of july weekend so 76 percent fewer cancellations than compared to the fourth of july weekend and 81 percent fewer than memorial day weekend so yeah big changes there and we can go through all the reasons and we've been talking about them all summer long but the labor day weekend is again often the unofficial end of the summer travel period and it marks sort of this pleasant surprise after the summer of we've been seeing itineraries just explode in people's passengers telling their horror stories of their travel nightmares all because of those staffing shortages traffic control delays also summer thunderstorms really get in the way a lot of times as well you can't control that weather all these things all about that revenge travel demand people traveling more than ever coming out of the pandemic and really wanting to hit the airlines and get to a destination and spend more money than ever to get there so sort of unwinding we'll have to wait and see there's still some difficulties still traffic uh air traffic control shortages still pilot shortages still pilot strikes going on right now and you can't do anything about the weather we're still gonna have issues with that as well 
But really good stats there, though. I mean, a 76% improvement from uh, yeah, the 4th of better. July and then the 81% better than Memorial Day. So, uh, you know, when you think about the amount of people traveling, especially as it continues to ramp up, uh, there were a lot more happy customers here for Labor Day. Yeah, I, I would say so. And really, I just looking on the travel blogs and things like that, I wasn't seeing as many like user generated posts. And that's really where you get the vibe, right, mm. of what's going on. Like when earlier in the summer, when we saw those luggage mountains being posted on social media, I even saw one personally. I shared it with you when you really saw those. You know, the, here in Hawaii, the only real problem I saw coming out of this Labor Day, just for our airport specifically, is there was one report of Jetstar. It's the discount area uh, carrier for Australia. They fly a couple uh, flights here, and they're just getting back started after the pandemic really getting those flights up and running but some of those travelers actually dealing with the same issues got stuck here for days oh. so they were sort of upset but really that's really about one of the only user generated upset uh, passenger complaints i personally saw so unofficial judgment there <laughs> well again it, it definitely does sound a lot better than it was hey uh Kind of moving in as we continue to see things shift to um, a little bit more normal as it comes to traveling. Uh, tell me, the, the travel industry is really focusing on the return of business travel. Uh, what's the latest on that? Yeah, it's a very, very, very important sector in the travel industry. And I was really interested in seeing this story. Honestly, it popped up on our Gray News Network this morning. Uh, it's on most of your Gray News websites. So if you're watching us right now on a Gray TV station, which I'm sure you are here on Local News Live, you can probably go to the website and find this article. Headline reads, reads airlines count on business travelers to keep recovery going and here's why business travel remains about 25 percent to 30 percent below 2019 levels so before the pandemic 25 to 30 percent below for business travelers and it's not clear when it really will come back or when those road warriors will return and those travel habits get back for all those people, especially the sales folks and people in corporate industries. But the Global Business Travel Association recently predicted that corporate travel won't fully recover until mid-2026. That's 18 months later than the trade group had forecasted previously. Business travelers, you know, they usually pay higher prices because uh, they're using that corporate card. And they, like, so it's a big impact. It accounts for a lot of the overall travel industry. So think about things like this, this place, Las Vegas. We're looking live at Allegiant Stadium right there. You know, those conventions and corporate meetings are really just getting started to come back to places like Las Vegas. So it's the return of those are what we're sort of counting on to bring this sector back of the travel economy. You know, but really the question is, how much has this business travel structure changed? Because think of how many meetings we now do on video calls. Just that one example. Those things people used to fly all the time to do those sales calls and business calls and like with reducing travel budgets in a lot of companies they're leaning on those video calls instead of sending someone across the country on a corporate flight or a corporate travel expenses so 
just one factor of where the pandemic really punched this sector of the travel industry hard. And it's just really slow to come back as those habits. We're going to have to wait and see if those business habits have changed forever or they're going to continue to slowly revert back to what they were before the pandemic. You bring up a great point. I mean, what what job almost to this day that can you not do remote at this point? And when you bring up the sales jobs or consultant jobs or, you know, even even some of those big conferences, they're offering they're offering a lot of virtual events on top of the in-person events this this time around after the, the pandemic. So, uh, yeah, it, you, it does generate the question in your mind is will that specific sector of airport travel ever fully recover uh, now that we can do things from home? Yeah, truly. And I mean, I never really get to fly the business class. So maybe to make more room in the airplane for us, you know, maybe they'll wipe out business class and give us those seats and that leg room back. But I doubt it there, really. That was a joke. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, so moving on to something that's maybe a little bit more of a concerning trend here. A lot of people kind of concerned here is a lot of smaller cities are losing commercial airline service uh, here. Maybe another symptom or consequence of the pandemic? Yes, and it's all about those issues we've been talking about with the staffing shortages and all those things that airlines are dealing with. A lot of them having to reduce their schedules just to handle the uh, the density and the amount of people wanting to travel to those main routes and main hubs. So let's run through of what's happening right now. Today, last commercial flight going into Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah, they're not going to have any more after today. And beyond that, American Airlines, that's the one that's pulling out there in Iowa, is ending service in places like Toledo and Ithaca and other places in New York. So that's a really big deal to these smaller communities, right, that rely on these corporate commercial airlines so they don't have to drive three, four hours to get to that big hub. So, for example, like when I go home to southern Illinois, I do have an option to fly into Cape Girardeau or Marion, Illinois, instead of driving two and a half hours to St. Louis. But now I'm always going to have to fly to St. Louis if this trend continues. This is not happening there, but I'm just saying if this trend continues, that's an example of how that could be impacted. But I have some stats for you here, too. In the last two years, more than 300 airports have seen air service reductions. Yes, air service reductions in more than 300 airports. That's according to the Regional Airline Association. And it's not just the ones I listed cutting back. Since the start of the pandemic, United Airlines has pulled out of more than 20 cities. So it's not just American Airlines. This is happening across the board. So just think the economics of all this. You know, we're talking about fuel costs, rising crew costs, the pilot shortage, all those things that we're talking about causing all those other issues. But a lot of other people are concerned about other regional airports and some that are sort of on the wire and sort of worried about it are places like smaller places like I was mentioning in Illinois, like Quincy, Moline, Illinois, many small cities in Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, also small airports in California. Also, a lot of people worried about losing those. They're really important to the overall survival of the economy in those small cities and also just convenience like it really is convenient to have the smaller air airlines out there and to see more of more of them going away it is concerning 
for a lot in those local travel industries, in their tourism industries, those tourism bureaus. I saw a story yesterday. Uh, it was out of Ohio. I'm sorry, Iowa, where they were talking about American Airlines point out. They interviewed uh, representatives from the casino industry there, also representatives. They were talking about how they need these commercial flights for their uh, minor league ball teams that they play there. So they're going to miss it. So they're sort of finding ways to subsidize this and coming up with sort of charter airlines and different ways they can come up with still bring in masses of passengers to these small cities without relying on things like American and United to supply those routes. And, and you have to imagine if the previous topic that we talked about with business travel kind of taking that hit, if that also has a factor in some of these smaller communities losing those commercial flights. Because again, let's face it, I mean, you were just talking about Cape Girardeau and being able to catch a flight directly to Cape Girardeau. I'm sure there are plenty of salespeople and consultants and all kinds of things that live out in Cape Girardeau that are probably thinking the same thing. Man, I, uh, you know, I really hope that I don't lose my particular flight because then I'm going to have to drive to St. Louis, like you said. Uh, so I'm, a, I'm imagining the, the business travel aspect of that probably has a large portion to do with some of this as well. Absolutely, absolutely the business impact. And again, it's just part of this overwhelming, overarching theme of what we're adjusting to coming out of this pandemic world. We're just going to have to wait and see a little bit longer. I hate using that wait and see term, but we have to see what's going to settle here and what habits are going to change and what resources are needed in certain places more than others. But as of right now, we are seeing this downsizing trend for the smaller markets. So sort of a shame. All right, moving on to our next topic here. Jonathan, you follow a lot of the travel blogs and things like that, and you, you know all the trends. There's a new list out, and the USA is on the most underrated destinations. Tell me about that. Yeah, so this is a list of the USA's most underrated destinations. CNN put this out in the last week. They list 22 locations on CNN.com on their travel blog section of the most underrated destinations. I picked out ones that just looked interesting for me. I'm not going to run through them all. You can check out the list yourself. But let's just run through a couple, and there are some on here near and dear to my heart, so I'm glad they made the list, and some that I just want to check out. Because I think America is loaded with these type of destinations. I cannot tell you enough how much personally I love visiting Tennessee. I think it's one of the most underrated states, but actually I just read a blog about that, that how tourism is really increasing there. They have the uh, Smoky Mountains, which are amazing, and a bunch of other cool cities, music scene, food. I'll digress. That's one of my, my personal, it's not on this list, but my personal underrated one. Let's move on to the list, though. Here's some on their list. Oklahoma City. These are in no order. They actually list this by uh, region. They don't actually list by number of ranking. But Oklahoma City made the list. And I'd have to agree, I've been there a few times. Awesome, awesome city. Not just Oklahoma City, but the whole state of Oklahoma apparently is pretty underrated. The, yeah, many people just fly right over it, you know, when you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast. But it has a lot of surprising, rich, varied scenes, including a good food scene, especially like they have these plazas in, in that uptown 23rd Street neighborhood. It has like a great Asian food district, which I have been to before in Oklahoma City. Amazing 
food, really cool. And they have one of the coolest museums I'd have to say I'd ever been to, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. It is awesome, awesome, awesome museum. And I just learned so much there. It's part of history I didn't really know a lot about before visiting there. Also important to see is the Oklahoma City Bombing Memorial, which is also a very important piece of history, especially the younger generation doesn't know a lot about. Sort of a little bit, not I wouldn't say forgotten, you just don't learn about it as much as we did when we were kids. So because what happened when we were kids. Let's move on a little. Durham, North Carolina, also making the list. I've never been here one ago. I don't know if you've been here, Clay, but uh, it's one of those American cities that was very industrial and really in the past 15 years, reportedly by CNN, has really made a turnaround and embraced tourism. It has a great sports and entertainment hub that revolves around this re-energized downtown that was once very industrial, but they've sort of converted it into this hip place, apparently, and I want to check it out. Looks very cool. A couple more. All right, so now we're going to be moving to Kansas City, Missouri. It's uh, the Show Me State's second largest city, and it's all about sound and flavor. I've been there only once, and I can't say I experienced too much of it, but I did eat some amazing barbecue, and that's one of the things that are listed as to why it's such a cool place to visit, and it's so underrated. Also, they have more than 40 venues where you can listen to live jazz. And you can't say that about many places across America, embracing the music scene that much, like they are reporting here in Kansas City, Missouri. Final one. This one is so near and dear to my heart. I was so happy it made the list. I can't agree more. Shawnee National Forest in Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois. My hometown right there in the middle of it. Murfreesboro, Illinois. Very underrated tourism destination. Wine trails, cliffs, bluffs, awesome hiking. So affordable. Like the cost of living, the cost of visiting. I am going to be the official tourism spokesperson right here. I cannot tell you how happy I was that it made the list. I found video from our affiliate KFVS12 there in the region. It's just a gorgeous place, and it really made my day. You can do all sorts of fun tours. They have new breweries opening. They even have this fun lore and history about a Sasquatch that lives there called the Big Buddy Monster you can read all about. It's one of those places you can visit in the fall, get great colors, and see all sorts of fun stuff, hitting those wine trails, hiking trails. And right now it's that time of year when that Midwestern towns are really embracing those town festivals. So great time to visit. Can't say enough about how much I love that area. I got to get over there now. So, and I'm, I mean, we're here in Omaha, so that's not too yeah, far away. Uh, Jonathan, I was going to say, uh, first, I didn't know the stat about Kansas City having so much jazz music there. Of course, I'm from New Orleans, so when you said jazz music, I literally sat up in my chair. Uh, live jazz is just absolutely my idea of a good time, so I got to get back down to KC. And, um, and then I have been to Durham. I've been to the Raleigh-Durham area. We actually went, uh, me and my wife went there a couple summers ago, and Durham is everything that you read uh, in that uh, synopsis there. Durham is very trendy these days. Super, super fun place. Lots to do for um, our age group, I feel like, but also for a lot of other age groups because you're you're right there close to the mountains still in Raleigh-Durham, so it's a short drive away. You can get to the mountains if you needed to. And like a cool sports team. The Durham Bulls, the nation's most 
famous minor league baseball team there right go. there in Durham, I'm told. It often plays the sold-out games. I love minor league baseball and spring training baseball. It's a great way to visit these smaller cities and underrated cities because a lot of them do have sports teams like that if you're into sports i saw the most amazing story yesterday on one of the network morning shows about the savannah bananas it was awesome like that seems like the coolest uh minor league baseball team out there but yeah just another example of just those little pools and little tourist attractions that you might not think of in these underrated cities and again cnn lists 22 of them it's a great place just scope out what's in your neighborhood what's scope scope out what's in the neighboring states around you maybe you'll see something for an awesome awesome day trip or a weekend trip and i just wanted to add too you know uh, so for me at least uh at least two locations that i feel like uh des moines iowa I've been over to Des Moines just once before. I need to spend a whole lot more time in Des Moines, I feel like, because uh, I don't feel like a lot of people are like, yeah, let's go to Des Moines. Uh, but uh, super trendy city. Des Moines. Yeah, I mean, just awesome. Uh, and then I would I would also add Sioux Falls, South Dakota as well uh, to that list because Sioux Falls also, you have, you have the falls literally running right through the city, gorgeous, uh, photo opportunity spots there. They actually light up the falls at night uh, in different pretty colors, so you can still have the, the falls lit up properly behind you during the nighttime for, for taking pictures. Uh, but then, yeah, tons of breweries and tons of just really trendy local things going on there. So if you're into that kind of thing, Sioux Falls offers a lot of fun things for that too. So a little bit of regionally speaking from Omaha, but it's a really fast trip. Kansas City, the same thing, two and a half hours. It's about two and a half, three hours to Sioux Falls to the north as well. So really, really fun uh, spot to get to. And this list goes through the places on the West Coast as well. Uh, one that I thought, thought should make the list, and I cannot rave enough about this place, and cost of living at this one and cost of traveling to this one is awesome as well. Tucson, Arizona. Oh, yeah. Great place to visit totally different than what you expect just a short drive from mexico's beaches as well you can get there within two and a half hours of visiting tucson you can be at a gorgeous beach resort and no one ever thinks of that it's so affordable your dollar goes so much further right there in that town great place great food can't say enough we could talk about this stuff yeah we, day, we, we really could <laughs> all right well jonathan soppy folks just if you're just now tuning in he's uh kind of our um our built-in travel expert here, our resident travel expert for Local News Live. He works and lives out in Honolulu, Hawaii, though, working for our great television station in KHNL uh, there in Honolulu. And Jonathan gets you caught up at least once a week on unraveling your traveling latest tips, tricks, travel-related trends and news that you need to know. We just got done running through a whole list of things. But, uh, Jonathan, we certainly appreciate your time today. Look forward to maybe hearing from you later on this week. And uh, and we'll talk soon. Cool. I'll try to stop in on Thursday. So.